it doesn't require decades of skill set to try something. You know, it requires decades of trying something to accumulate a skill set. That's the voice of Ryan Feldhaus, owner of Feldhaus Family Woodworks. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Ryan Feldhaus, owner of the Fresno, California furniture company, Feldhaus Family Woodworks. Although Ryan's primary business right now is cutting boards, I want to be clear, this episode is not only an episode about cutting boards. Ryan has spent basically his entire life in the building trades. That makes him well-versed in the industry and what it takes to thrive in it. So our conversation goes deeper than just talking about building or business. It also goes into the type of passion you need to stand apart and the way you judge your ideas of failure and success. Follow along as we talk about ignoring industry fads, how to think about intellectual property, the importance of strong role models, and much more. We talk about a wide range of topics in this episode, so let's just jump right in and hear about Ryan's journey in his own words. When I was in elementary school, junior high, high school, I I was just very, uh, you know, I was very active kid. Like a lot of the schools try to you know, diagnose me with like ADHD or whatever, like would say I was disruptive or like a problem child or whatever. I was, you know, I just had a lot of difficulties in school for a long time. And um, I would regularly, you know, be suspended, expelled from all kinds of schools. And just kind of like, I was just, I just had a lot of energy and I had an abundance of it. And I just had a really hard time being in that type of a being in that type of a structured environment. And um, so that would like present a lot of challenges. Um, And so when I was in seventh grade, we finally had a wood shop at this new, at this new school that I started going to. Um, And we had this really awesome instructor, this guy, his name was Mr. Mitchell. And, you know, he was just, he was just one of those guys that just, you know, like he had this presence about him you wanted to, you wanted to like, kind of like present your best self to impress him. You know what I mean? He's like one of those, like just the old guys that just like, he just inspired, like he inspired greatness in yourself just because you wanted to be able to like impress him. You know what I mean? And so like, he was just this really awesome dude. So I started woodshop projects, you know, building boxes and uh, stuff like that in his shop. In school, I was getting suspended all the time. Like, you know, like, 
Mr. Mitchell was an old dude. So like he wasn't like the most hip to everything. Like, you know, like stuff could kind of get by him really easily, but he was very attentive in his class. So like, even though I was suspended in school, I would actually sneak back onto the campus just to go to his wood shop class and he wouldn't really notice. <laughs> so like, I would like, I'd like go to his class, like, you know, you know, two or three times in a day, like just to kind of like get projects done. And he wouldn't even notice that I was in like multiple periods, you know, just like jumping in on his classes and stuff. It was the, like literally the only thing in school that like I enjoyed doing. And like, I really enjoyed the projects that I do in his class. So like, I was like suspend, like I got a, I was suspended multiple times, you know, um, just over and over and over again. And eventually like I was expelled from that school. And even when I was expelled, I would like go back and like still like sneak into his class and like do a couple things. And then, <laughs> you know, like they catch me and like throw me out and whatever. But yeah, so like, that was like kind of like my first like real uh, exposure to woodworking and like where I really like found that like, I really liked it and like really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, as I like kept, you know, progressing in school, like my problems kind of got a lot worse. Um, and eventually I was expelled from high school and my dad just realized that I wasn't doing good in school and it wasn't a good environment for me. And so he's like, all right, well, you don't have to go to school, but you have to come to work. And so my dad owned a general contracting company. And so I started doing general contracting with my dad when I was about 16 and yeah, and we just, you know, like I just always was, would gravitate towards the finer aspects of even like in, in general contracting, like it would actually, it actually drive my dad nuts. Like I would like, you know, he'd be like, all right, frame out this, you know, frame out this wall. We need to get this bathroom framed out, and, you know, and it's got to happen quick. And like, I'd be sitting there, you know, calling out numbers to him and like, I'd like call out, you know, 30 seconds and 16. So he'd be like, God damn it, Brian. I don't want to hear anything less than an eight. Like, God, could you just, you know what I mean? And like, it was just like me and him would always be at odds because like, you know, I would always want to gravitate towards fine, you know, fine woodworking and really being precise and accurate. And he always just wanted to like, just knock it out and get it done as quick as possible, you know, because he's running a business. Yeah. That's kind of like where I found myself gravitating towards like just fine woodworking, you know, and really wanting to apply myself in that way. Time went on. Um, I would always, I would always like kind of rely on general carpentry as like kind of like my main source of income until I was like, uh, till I was like in my twenties. And I, I'm also like a musician too. And so I was working as a professional musician for you know for quite a few years, for like ten years. And I would just always rely on general carpentry and stuff to kind of like subsidize my income when music you know, when I wasn't making enough money playing music and vice versa. Um, and then eventually I moved to New Orleans and that was in 2016, I believe, when we moved to New Orleans. So we moved to New Orleans um, because a friend of mine bought this huge property and there was like four or five structures on the property and they were still like damaged from Katrina. And so um, she wanted me to go out there and remodel all these houses. And like, I was like, kind of like still bouncing around with like music and didn't really have like stable income or like a stable career direction and stuff like that. And so I was like, I, I, I love New Orleans and I've been there several times and I was like, sure, why not? Like, that sounds like an awesome experience. Move to New Orleans, live in one of the most awesome creatively music and artistic, you know, cities in the United States. And, you know, we could, I have a job waiting for me. And so we moved there 
And yeah, I was just doing like a lot of like general uh, remodeling stuff, you know, like I said, because there's a lot of condemned residential housing there. And so there's just a plethora of remodel work. It was like, I was so swamped in remodel jobs. Um, but then when the pandemic hit, all of my remodel work just dried up. You know, it was, that was, it was same for everyone everywhere. Like it was just, everything was shut down and I had my tools in my shop and I was like, you know what, let's just try something else. And so I just started making some cutting boards. My friends and family were like buying them up. Like I just started selling tons and tons and tons of cutting boards. It was doing really, really well. And then um, my wife's work, uh, my wife's work dried up also. And then, so she just started taking over my Instagram account because before that I was just, it was all word of mouth through friends, selling stuff, selling goods. And then my wife took over my Instagram and started displaying our work on there. And our page, you know, it started getting more and more followers. We had like 2000 followers all of a sudden, you know, 5,000 followers all of a sudden. And I think it was like right around when we had 5,000 followers is when we developed the first woven design. And uh, I think it was somewhere around there. So like we, I was just like sitting in the, the kitchen. I really wanted to start doing end grain stuff because I was mainly just doing side grain boards at that point. And I really wanted to do end grain work. And uh, I was sitting down and I just drawing patterns because I wanted to kind of like create my own design that like really was like unique and not just kind of like some of the same, you know, monotonous, you know, end grain patterns that you can see out there. And so I just was drawing designs and like kind of coming up with concepts and my daughter saw me drawing. And so she started drawing too. And that's when she kind of drew this like little woven design. And I saw it and I was like, oh man, that's freaking awesome. Like, let's, let's take that. And like, so me and her kind of like worked on it and we refined it and it turned into like the very first woven board. We posted the first woven board. And from that first woven board to one year later, we literally made the majority of our followers, which we were at like 40 K by the end of 2021 or something. It was crazy. Like we just had this huge explosion and it just snowballed. And I just like, uh, you know, getting that, um, getting all that attention really inspired me to like apply myself more to the pattern and to the method. And so I just started developing new designs. And once I understood the concept and the method, I was able to really start coming up with my own really unique and original patterns and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's just kind of been a progression since then. It's definitely been a progression. And there's a lot of things that you talked about that I want to get into, but I want to take a step back and talk about that original role model that you had, your woodshop teacher who gave you a real safe haven in an environment that was not good for you. And also your father who brought you into the trades, whether he wanted to or not. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> he made that decision yeah. to bring you on, which spurred you into this into the trade of building and so totally. having a role model whether it's in the profession that you want or just in life in general is really important when you're trying to build a foundation for what you want to be doing yeah definitely man yeah you know um my my teacher mr mitchell like, you, like I've, I've had a few of these these figures in my life but, you know, it was just, it was something about, it felt like, um, you know, like 
because of where I was at, like when I was, when I was younger, like as a young teenager and stuff like that, I get a lot of criticism, you know, because of, you know, because of the things I was doing, like, you know, we don't need to get into all of it, you know, but I, I wasn't being a good kid or being a good person per se. And, you know, it really felt like, it really felt like he kind of looked past that and gave me a chance to just like really show what I'm capable of and, and, you know, like, and not have to, not have to like feel like I was under any level of like scrutiny or anything, you know what I mean? So like, it was just like, it really felt like it, it, him approaching me in that way made me, um, made me want to, to do stuff that would impress him. You know, I like genuinely sought out his approval, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like, you know, it was, um, it was really, it was really natural in that way. Like, you know, he just, he had, it was just somebody who really had that presence about him, you know? And, but regardless of, of what he thought it was, it, what was more important was just like the way he'd make me feel and like, just kind of feeling like really accepted, not judged. And, you know, and he would, he would push me and propel me in ways that like, I felt like I wanted to push myself also. It is a hard thing to find, but when you find it, that is really something that you should lock onto. And yeah, and you did that. And I can see having somebody that gave you that helped you come to terms with starting your own business, being out on your own and understanding that you don't have to appeal to everybody. You can appeal to a core audience, whether it's one person or multiple clients. And, and you can understand that when you have a connection with somebody as a client, that you can get satisfaction from that. You don't necessarily need to follow the crowd and work for somebody else or work at another job. You can find your own satisfaction going your own way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that you said something that's, um, that's, that's really a great thing that we could like look at a little more closely is you don't have to follow the crowd. You don't have to make something that just is appealing because everybody else is making it, you know, and um, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll catch some flack for this, but like, you know, like the whole cutting board thing and like the end grain cutting boards and like this thing, you know, it's this big fad. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of people are kind of like jumping on board to it, even though they really, it's not really like their, their passion. Like they just think that they think that this is a quick buck and it's a good place to kind of like, you know, it's a good place to make a quick buck or something. And they're not really like applying themselves, you know? And I, I think it's really important to like, make sure that like what you're doing is, is enjoyable for you. Cause if you're not enjoying it, like in this field, I'm sure that you can attest to this is that it's hard work. <laughs> this is not an easy field. It's not an easy field physically. It's not an easy field emotionally. And it's not an easy field financially, you know? So it's just like, there are ways that you could make a quick buck so much easier. And if, if you're not passionate about it and you're not enjoying what you're making, you really should look into expanding, expanding your field a little bit or expanding your idea of what you want to make, because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's a hard work and it's a hard place to like, you know, to, to be, uh, I guess, quote unquote, you know, successful, you know, especially financially, it's a hard field for that. 
And so I think that what you were saying there is, is a super good point. That is so true. Having a furniture company, and I can't stress this enough, is not a get-rich-quick scheme for, <laughs> for 99% of the people who started. It is, it is a labor. It is a labor of love sometimes, but it's also just a labor. It's, it's hard work. And, and there's a lot of different people who have started a lot of different types of companies and have had a lot of different types of success, but it's hard. It's physically draining. It's mentally draining. It's emotionally draining. It's all those things and more. And you don't necessarily know that until you jump in and are doing it yeah once you get into it and like if this is something that you're passionate about it is probably one of the most like it's just one of the most like fulfilling fulfilling things to like to apply yourself to your work and to be able to make a living doing something that you love like it's i i like being here where i'm at now I could not imagine going in any other direction or like stopping what I'm doing. And like, like, you know, for instance, like before I started working, like I was like working as a line chef, like as a cook and I could not fathom stopping what I'm doing after like what I've experienced through this business and what I've experienced, uh, you know, over this, these past like three years, it would, it would, you know, it would destroy me, you know? So it's like, if you can find a way to, to, uh, to, just apply yourself and do it. It is probably the most fulfilling thing to like know that money and that food that was put on your table, you literally made it. It's funny that you bring up being a cook and being a line chef. And I always tell people that one of the, the ways to prevent burnout in the furniture industry is to cook because you put all the same effort into it as you would building furniture but it's a very temporary thing you cook it somebody eats it and it's done with furniture you put all that time and effort into it and then it lives in the world for if you make it right for generations and that that is a stressful thing to not only build things but then to have it in the world and people interacting with it and things can go wrong. Things don't always go right. You have callbacks. There are issues with furniture and that is stressful. Yeah. But, a way, but a way to be creative is to cook and put all that same energy into it and then realize that it's gone after that meal and it keeps you a little bit lighter. Totally. And what, what, you, what you said was is funny because like it's it's something that I think about all the time. Like if you make a piece, you make it right. It's going to last for generations. Like often I'll like think about like, oh, man, like I wonder what somebody's going to think. Like if one of my pieces miraculously lasts, let's say, like, you know, a thousand years or something. And like somebody unearths these like these pieces and they're like, you know, like, am I going to like be on like an episode of Ancient Aliens where they like. <laughs> I talk about like there's no way that that they could have possibly done this with their you know with their contemporary machinery of the time and you know, I don't know. I love that idea. Well, it, it's it's standing behind your work, maybe to a little bit of an extreme. Number one, that 
a cutting board will last that long. And number two, <laughs> that the show Ancient Aliens will also be on for that long. But <laughs> Ancient Aliens, they have a good business model, man. I'll just give them that. So there's no template for success. It's standing behind your work and it, it's an important thing to do. And when you're talking about not going with a fad, when you're talking about putting your blood, sweat, and tears into something, you want it to be that quality. Yeah, 100%. I think that, I think you really hit the nail on the head with, um, there, there's no right answer. There's no one approach there. It really, it really is like, you know, like it, like just the field in and of itself is so diverse in, in terms of like what people do and what they make. Um, and then just like the resources that we have available to us are, you know, they're just getting more and more diverse and kind of more and more accessible to where, um, you know, to where like, you know, anyone can really jump onto one of these social media platforms and start posting, you know, kind of, you know, they could, they could start posting stuff and, you know, without even the intention of developing a brand or developing a business can line themselves up in that position. I think that you're really right in that, in that um, there, yeah, there really isn't a right answer or a correct approach, except that, you know, just get in there and start, just get in there and do it is really, is really the main thing. Like if you're in there, like there's somebody actually told me this the other day where they said, um, no matter what you're doing, just as long as you're consistent, you're going to find success. You know, it's like, just as long as you're consistent and as long as people can rely on you performing this task and you're performing it, you know, to the best of your ability, you're going to find success. And the way people define success is, you know, is, is that is also a spectrum in and of itself. So it's like, you know, for, for me, like, you know, there probably is a lot of people who look at my page and see that I have, you know, a ton of followers and they probably equate that to success. But it's like, it really, like in my eyes and in my experience, like of what I'm doing and like the money that I'm making, it's like, I'm not really finding the level of success that I personally want, you know? And so like, it's like, you might be able to look at my page and say, oh, wow, he's doing all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, sure. I got a million views on some video or something, but I still only made one sale on that product. You know, like I don't really, um, I don't really model my business towards um, like some people say that some pe some businesses say that they're not woodworkers, they're just you know uh, content creators or curators. Um, you know, and that's that's one model, that's one way of of approaching it. Um, but for me, like I don't I don't try to view my business as a content curation page. I'm a woodworking page. Like you know, I I'm trying to actually build up my practice i'm actually trying to build up my brand and my products and so just like kind of like in terms of where i'm at with that it's like i don't think that i'm necessarily finding my success yet but i'm staying consistent you know and that's what's important to me the, what's important to me is that i'm constantly pushing myself like i really try hard to avoid stagnation where i'm just like you know i'm not um pushing myself because you know, the moment that I find myself in that stagnant zone is that's actually when I find that I start making, you know, less money in terms of like selling my products and stuff, you know, like. There is such a strange disconnect between 
social media success and how people see social media success and actual business success. And it seems, it seems on the face of it, like they're two different animals. They're two completely different things where social media is being able to edit up pictures and get a good following and edit up videos and get a good following. And, and some people en- make a killing they and engage killing with- doing that, you know, exactly. And engage with your audience and some furniture companies, some of the biggest furniture companies don't even have social media presence. Some companies, <laughs> yeah, exactly. some companies exactly. that make hundreds of millions of dollars that have been doing this for a long time before social media even started and cut their teeth before social media even became a thing, mm-hmm. think that why do we need to switch into this when we're doing well, when we're doing just as well without it. And there's a case to be made on both ends of that, where on one side, it could be, yes, you're doing well now, but you have to look into the future. But there's the other side of it, where if we think of social media as just advertising, and you've already made your inroads and you already have contracts and you already have people that you work with that you don't need to necessarily go down the route of social media and getting hundreds of thousands of followers if you already have an established business. So that that yeah. idea of, of separating social media success and business success is really one that that's hard to wrap your mind around yeah yeah you know like it's it's i I have people that just assume that because um like a great so a great way to look at like like what you're talking about is like a lot of people will look at my page they'll see i have a ton of followers and they will just assume that i'm at some level you know they'll assume that like because of my follower account that implies that like i have certain number level of success financially and that also like just in terms like my own personal skill set and level set that like i must be really high you know and really the truth is is that like in terms of like my business success it's you know i'm i'm surviving you know what i mean i'm i'm making it you know like i'm able to pay for you know my bills and pay for my house and stuff with primarily with my woodworking, which is awesome. And I love that I'm able to do that, but I'm still not at like, I'm still not at that place where like I'm making an actual real profit and like seeing real profit margins. Um, And then also like on top of that, you know, people perceive that my skill level is something really high. Like I must be, um, you know, apprenticed under somebody or that I've been doing this for, you know, uh, decades and and that's why I'm here. And it's just, it's really, it's not true. You know, it's not true. Like I happen to, I happen to find a really cool method. Like I happen to like kind of stumble across it. And, you know, I stumbled upon the method in a way. Um, and that method is really appealing you know and there was already like kind of like this end grain fad happening and so being able to like kind of have this cool method and cool approach that is already uh, pleasing on its own to kind of like jump in on top of that fad you know I kind of was able to like see a lot of success on social media platform really quickly 
but that doesn't imply that, you know, that my business is doing amazingly or that, you know, that my skill set is so high. And I think that that's something that a lot of people who are specifically into like the social media aspect of like building a business or like trying to build their brand or something is to like not, not think that you have to be at some level in order to, you know, approach a certain project that you've been wanting to do or, you know, to approach, uh, you know, to try a new technique or like whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't require decades of skill set to try something, you know, it requires decades of trying something to accumulate a skill set, you know, and so um, it's like, like, a, like that saying, um, the master has failed more times than the apprentice has even attempted, you know, it's like, that is like, for me, that's the cornerstone of what it, what success is. Success is getting out there and trying every single day, just going out there and just applying yourself. If you're out there and you're applying yourself and you're doing something that you enjoy and you feel like you're achieving a higher level on, you know, if, even if like your higher level doesn't come within a week, within a month, within a year, as long as you're just trying and there is progress, that's success. The financial aspect is a completely, you know, it's a completely different, um, it's a completely different topic, you know what I mean? Then I think it's really important to acknowledge that just applying yourself, getting out there on a daily basis, and just really going for it, that is the cornerstone of success, not how many followers you have, not, you know, how much income your business is generating, like those things are great and benefits and they'll help propel you, but the main thing is that you're enjoying what you're doing and that you're trying on a daily basis. It comes back to a topic that I love to talk about on this show and with people in general, and that is your own definition of success. And you said it perfectly where it can be viewed in a lot of different ways. And the beauty and also the frustration of social media is that it gives you, if you, play the game well, if you have a lot of followers, if you have a large social media following, that you automatically have instant recognition, that you automatically yeah. are viewed as somebody who knows what they're talking about, whether you, <laughs> whether you, whether you know it or not. And that's, yeah. and if you're building a business, that's a great thing because you instantly have credibility in an industry that you would never have been able to achieve without social media, but you can't judge social media success for a business unless we take a step back, unless that is your business and then you are yeah, successful. Exactly. But if you're trying to have a furniture company, then social media success is not equal to the success of a PL sheet, a profit and loss sheet, and what you're actually yeah. taking home at the end of the day. But it also goes a step beyond that, like you said, where sometimes success isn't money. Sometimes success isn't fame. Sometimes success isn't growth. Sometimes success for an individual person is having a sustainable business that they can continue to do and enjoy and have their life. So there's all different paths to success and all different ways that people get there. Yeah. So like, you know, like, uh, uh, for like, uh, for instance, um, you know, like last, uh, I think it was on my, my last sale 
happened like a month and a half ago. I just recently, like, thankfully I made a couple sales, but like, you know, like I had about a month and a half ago, I had almost a whole month and a half, literally like of just no sales, nothing was moving in my shop, you know? And, um, though that can lead you to believe like, what am I doing wrong? How am I applying myself incorrectly? Like, uh, am, am I failing, you know? And it's just, uh, it's just, I feel like it's, um, it's an important thing to, to like step back and look at that, you know, like it's, we're not necessarily being unsuccessful because we're, we're not making or generating that income. And just because like, I'm a big page means that I'm just, you know, rolling in dough and like all this income's happening. It's like, even me as, as a, you know, a quote unquote larger page, like I'm still finding, you know, times where I'll have like two months of downtime with just no sales. And those are the, you know, that's a hard aspect of running your own business and, um, and just kind of like securing yourself for the future. Because like right now at this phase, like, you know, you want to talk about success, you know, I don't have any type of a, a pension lined up for when I'm done. You know what I mean? Like at this rate, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be sitting there pushing a hand plane until I'm 85 years old, you know, <laughs> but that's not my, that's not my goal. You know, my, like my goal is to be pushing a hand plane at 85, but not to have to be pushing a hand plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I, I feel like that's an important thing to put out there is that, you know, even, even me, which is just, just saying that like in and of itself is funny to me, like saying, Oh, even me, because like, I'm just Ryan Feldhouse, you know, who had zero followers, you know, two and a half years ago. Um, but it's like, you know, even me, like, you know, I have these dry spells and those present themselves with huge challenges for small businesses, you know, being able to, um, like, even if like you get an order, like, so like one of the things that was really difficult was I hadn't had sales in like almost two months. It was like a month and a half, no sales. And so, you know, just my, my capital was really low. And then I have some sales come in, but to be able to afford my material and afford my overhead to keep my shop running in that downtime, you know, like I burned through all my capital and now like I'm spending what should be, you know, my profit on just affording the materials to build, to keep myself moving forward. You know, and so like, those are things that, um, you know, like that are regular challenges for everyone, you know, that we, we need to look at not as failures, but just as a part of the process and a part of, of what real success looks like, you know, having, having to rely on yourself in that way, you know, is what success is, even though you're having to tap into your reserves, that doesn't mean that you're not being successful, you know? So it's like, it's, you know, it's, there's just so many challenges and so many aspects and ways to look at it. I think that you're in a unique place to, answer this question with your business. And, and it's about intellectual property and the idea of creating something and putting it out there and other people seeing it with the chance that other people could be copying it and what you think about that. For furniture, there's things like tables and chairs and armoires and bookcases that are the, the building blocks of what furniture is. And people can make a chair and make it look a lot of different ways, but it's very three-dimensional. And there's a lot, a lot of iterations that people can make 
out of a chair without stepping on somebody else's toes. And you worked in the the building industry. You worked in the furniture industry. You've done that. But right now you're focusing on cutting boards. And cutting boards are a relatively two-dimensional object. It's mostly patterns and the way you're laying those out. And so there's a lot of overlap of design in that industry. Totally. Over the course of your time making design-oriented cutting boards, you've come up with patterns that are unique, that are your own design, but you also put that out there. You show how you're building it so other people could copy that. So how do you balance that idea of intellectual property? This is your business. You're making this and the uniqueness of this piece is what sets you apart is what it's what lets you sell your work it's what lets you have a business Mm -hmm. but also the idea of sharing it with the community and putting it out there well i think um i think first off what kind of insulates me from people copying my work is that it's really expensive to make it (laughs) so first off like you know just the the amount of vestiges that you have like during the process is it's it's a lot you know so it's it's not it's not a a project to take on for the light of heart um and it's also not something that like um i would be worried about a large-scale manufacturer being able to take it on and view it as a as a lucrative as a lucrative product line so it's i'm a little bit insulated in that way um but uh, talking about uh, intellectual property um, and stuff, you know, when I when I first came up with with some of the designs, there was a there was a buddy who we would like kind of like use each other's shops for different things, and he had this really specific um, he had this really specific uh, pattern board that he was making. It was really, really specific. And the way that he did it was really specific. And it was just totally unique to him and to his shop and his look. And it really was like his own style and his own look. And, you know, like he, um, he would get offended, you know, when people would, um, would exactly to the T recreate his exact look. And like, you know, you did these like really specific things that made that look and that style very unique to him and his shop. And I would accredit that exact design to him. And, you know, he, like I was saying, like he would get offended when, you know, people would just exactly copy his style and look to the T, you know, I don't want to say this wrong. Like to like kind of like imply that like he influenced me in a negative way, but like, you know, he kind of like got me on this train of thought of like, Hey, don't copy my work like that. You know what I mean? And, but he was right. You know, he was right in the feel the way he did, you know, that's his signature look. That's some, that's the way he's like making a hundred percent of his income. And, you know, he wants to be able to rely on people recognizing his brand. So in the, in the very beginning, when I was doing my pattern boards, I kind of, I kind of had a similar, um, I had a similar outlook on, on people copying my work. And this was like before I released the tutorials and stuff. Like I kind of had a similar outlook on like, like, Hey man, like, you know, like this is, this is my thing. Like, you know, don't, don't copy it exactly. Like if you're going to do it, like apply yourself a little bit, um, make some modifications to design, like do something to make that piece yours. Like just do something like, you know, because that's my brand and that's my look and that's my design, you know? Um, and, the more and more that like I started getting into it, 
the more I like kind of started to realize that it's like, you know, it's like truly in essence, you know, I'm not the first person to come up with a basket weave. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not the first person to do a basket weave. I'm not the first person to do a knot pattern. You know, I'm not the first, you know, like, and, and even in like cutting boards, like a lot of like the basket weaves are all based on a 90 degree angle. So like, you'll get like a basket weave look that way. And they'll have like the accent strips and like all the stuff, you know, outlining their basket weave in that way. But really like where I'm unique is in the method you know, and so like I started thinking like, oh, well, you know, my method is unique, you know, like my pattern itself maybe isn't exactly so unique, but, you know, actually maybe the method itself is really unique. And I, you know, as I get further and further into woodworking, I'm like, oh man, like, you know, actually, if you're really to analyze the method, it's really closely relatable to, you know, say like Japanese Yosegi, where, you know, they're granted Yosegi work is uh, primarily uh, side grain and face grain pattern work but when you look at the method the method is similar um, and so like again like there it's like okay like I stumbled I stumbled across this method and I felt unique in my approach but the truth is is that there are methods that were similar to it you know that already exist and so like you know just the further and further that I evolved um, as a carpenter and like the further that my my knowledge base grew you know, the more I start to realize that, like, you know, I'm not so incredibly unique in what I did. Um, it's, you know, I think that I'm unique in the fact of that I'm applying these patterns and that method specifically to end grain work. So, you know, it's like, so like it kind of like it was an evolution of like kind of like needing to reel myself back in and be like, hey, you know, like actually these are, these are methods that are known. Um, and so like, with that said, I was like, you know, I am kind of like the first person approaching these patterns and these methods in the end grain style. And um, there was a couple of other people like, so like, uh, I guess like to try and tie this, tie this all together. Uh, there's another maker who does these amazing, amazing, like uh, other woven boards. And his method and his style, I feel like really, really is unique to him and to like his work and what he does. Like it's truly unique. And he has, uh, he has, you know, records of him doing this work, like all the way back from like the seventies and eighties. So, like he's been doing this for a long time and I have not seen any other example of his style of work before he started doing it. So it's like, I feel like that's totally unique and really specialized to him and his shop and his brand name. But then there was another guy who took his method, kind of figured out his method and then released a tutorial on it. And like now this other dude's shop's name is more uh, regularly affiliated with the with the method than the guy who invented it, you know, and it's really unfortunate to see that. And so that was kind of like a driving factor in me wanting to be like, you know what, I need to release these tutorials because, you know, people are starting to figure out my method. People are, um, you know, you know, copying my designs. And so like, I figured like, you know, is I want to, I want to protect my work and I want to protect the, the method that I've kind of like curated, but I also want to solidify my shop's name 
with the technique, which is really important. That, that's not necessarily like how I was thinking about it when I made the tutorials, but that was kind of like the, the outcome of sharing. So like once I started making the tutorials and I started sharing my process and being more open about, about my techniques and like all the aspects of what I'm doing, the more that that technique and those designs became affiliated with my shop's name. And so, um, you know, my, pers my perspective of, of intellectual property has definitely evolved, you know, since the beginning, but I found, I found a lot of benefits like me personally, I've found a lot of benefits in being more inclusive and sharing and, you know, kind of approaching intellectual property from the, from the uh, community side of it, rather than trying to like covet my knowledge and covet my skill set, um, you know, and, and then having to like go out and battle people when they try and re recreate my works, you know? So it's like me sharing and me, um, me kind of like giving to the community instead of trying to covet my knowledge, it just kind of like solidified my shop with the method, with the patterns. And I feel like really is a cornerstone in what propelled us forward in a big way. All the way back at the beginning of that, you mentioned that you weren't afraid of being ripped off by a major company because of the cost of time and labor and materials that go into each one of these boards and being able to price something out that is labor intensive like that, but is also a small item, a household item like a cutting board. There's a lot of balance there. Can, yeah. you, can you talk about how you balance the amount of work that goes into one of these boards with the uniqueness of the product that you're putting out, also with the class of product that these pieces find themselves in? You know, I, I struggled with pricing a lot in the very beginning. I think just like everybody. Just like everybody, it's really hard to um, to value yourself, you know, like and like as as I'd said before, like you know, like I I I I'd never really studied under anyone, like you, know, like I only was inspired in this woodshop class when I was in middle school. Like I never really, I didn't study, you know, quote unquote, underneath some master, you know, like I I don't have um, I don't have the credentials to say, oh, my work is worth this because I'm X qualified, you know? Uh, and so like, I think that that's, that's a really, it's, it makes it really difficult to look at what you're making and to be like, no, this actually does have value. This actually does have this much value. And actually I, I feel like it's worth even more than that, you know? Um, but I still want to remain competitive inside of the market, you know, whatever. But yeah, so it's something that I definitely struggle with a lot in the, in the early stages. Like, so when I, when I made my first woven boards, I was selling them, I was selling them for, I think I sold them for 250 bucks. Might have even been 200, like the very first ones. But it was like, to think about that, and to think about like how much I know now about really what's involved and what I have to calculate into my pricing. I'm like, Oh my God, I was paying people. I was paying people to take these cutting boards from me, <laughs> you know, but, 
that's the that's the other part of it is you have to live at the end of the day you can't <laughs> you need you need food um but yeah man pricing it's just been so difficult to to look at myself and be like yes I, this work is worth this much, even though like, I might not see myself as having like the credentials to justify that, you know what I mean? But, you know, when you think about it, like, you know, when you start getting into a certain realm of your woodworking, it's, it's, it, it transcends just woodworking. It it becomes into the field of, of fine art. Um, And fine art is, priced differently from utilitarian, you know, standard utilitarian items, you know, and that's where I think um, we can struggle is because we still have the, the, um, we still correlate a lot of these pieces to utilitarian items, and we don't think about them as the art pieces that they actually are. And so once you start being like, you know what, actually, this is art. And I understand that it's, a, in my case, I understand that it's a cutting board, but this is, this is a piece of my artistic expression. And therefore I'm going to charge this price. And that price doesn't necessarily have to reflect my material costs. That price doesn't have to reflect my labor costs. That price doesn't have to reflect, you know, my overhead, you know, that price can be completely independent of that. Um, And not saying that the pricing that I'm at right now is in that realm, you know, but that's kind of like the way I look at it when I'm putting my price tag on there as I'm like, you know, this is, this is what I need to make just to survive. And you know what, at this price range, I'm able to do it. And I'm able to kind of like continue this comfortably. You right now, in your definition of success, you are feeling successful. There are people out there who want to start their own business. They have that passion, whether it's from an early age or they just found it later in life. Mm -hmm. There's people who want to start their own furniture business. And there's also people who have been doing this for a long time and who have had success but want more success. And they hear you and they hear the way you're talking about the industry and, and they gravitate towards those ideas. So in your experience, and you've been doing this for a long time, what's some advice that you could share with people who are trying to find their own success in this industry? What has helped me the most is a consistency. Like consistency, I feel like is, is so, it's just, it's so important for people to be able to rely on you. Um, if people know that they can rely on you, then it really, it really will, that, well, that'll pull you away from the pack, which I think is important because there's a lot of people who just, they're, they're very inconsistent and, um, not just speaking on people's work, but just also work ethic, you know, just being consistent, showing up daily, um, showing up like, for instance, like I'm a small, I'm, I'm my boss, like I'm a small business owner and I wake up every single day at 5 a.m. and I'm out there in the shop. I'm up every single day at 5 a.m. and I'm, I'm getting stuff done. And I think that that is really the most important thing is and showing up and just getting moving and moving forward. For other stuff, I have found a lot of benefits in 
passive income. Like, so for instance, like my tutorials, um, when, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast that we had like about a month and a half of just total downtime where just stuff was not selling. I wasn't moving any of my boards. I wasn't moving any of my pieces, my boxes or anything. Um, but the tutorials kept selling. Like the tutorials were, it wasn't a lot of income, but it was at least enough just to keep me moving and just to keep stuff moving forward. Like, even though we weren't making sales, I'm still out in the shop, you know, filling pass orders, but still just wake up every single day, get out there and just keep progress happening. That's the main and most important thing to being successful, especially when you're first starting and establishing your business. Pushing yourself forward and making sure that you you understand that when you're working for yourself, you are the only flame that's going to light that fire. You have to make it yourself. 100%. And the other thing that I think is really important um, is just really like being able to step outside of your comfort zone because, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to just make that investment. And uh, I guess that's a good way to look at it is investment. Like investing, there's no such thing as a bad investment in yourself. Like, so when you're saying, oh man, if I only had this tool, if I only had that, if I only had this, it's like, you know what? Invest in yourself, get that thing that you need. If you say, if you say that that's the thing that you need, and you say that if, if you had that thing, it's going to it's going to take you to this next level. It's going to take you to this next place. You know what? If you apply yourself, I guarantee you can find some way to get that exact model that you want, or at least something comparable to get the ball rolling. Like that's the most important thing is like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to put some money up front. You're going to be broke and it's going to suck, but you know what? You're making an investment in yourself. And therefore, you're making an investment in your business and your future. And that is positive, no matter how you look at it. It's just positive. Yeah, you might struggle because you're, you're you know, because you're, you know, not financially secure yet in your business. But the only way to get there is to invest in your business, you know. So those types of things where it's like, you're like, oh, if I only had this, if I only had that, you know what? Do it. Don't say, don't say if you know, find a way to get that thing, you know, find a way to, to get those tools and, and to make it happen. You know, like people, people look at, you know, my shop, I still do all of my pattern work on, on a little D wall job site saw. And it's like, I, I would love to have, I would love to have a cabinet saw and like, you know, have something that's like, you know, more power and more and better accuracy. And like, that would be amazing, you know, but I made the investment and I got a saw that's going to get me started and get the ball rolling. And that is what's important. Well, thank you for your advice that you've shared today. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me. And I know everybody listening appreciates it as well. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ethan. It was, it was totally a pleasure, bro. And, um, you know, anytime. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. 
To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.